Well, if you will turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been looking at the first verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And from verses 3 through 12, what we really have is a summary, a summation of what it means to be in the kingdom, what it means to be saved, what it means to be a believer, what it means to know God. So if anybody ever asks you what are the Beatitudes, you tell them it's a portrait of what a Christian looks like. I think that's the best summary that we could give to it. But it's all wrapped up in these statements, and they all begin with the same word. What's the word? Blessed or blessed. Blessed. And so... Can you say them yet? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So what happens is we see us kind of ascending this ladder of blessedness that starts with being pure in spirit, and all of the rest of these things then follow. And so the seventh step on the ladder is being a peacemaker. Peace is a huge theme throughout Scripture. Um, Romans <coughs> chapter 16 and verse 20 refers to God as the God of peace. Excuse me. So does 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will. So all through scripture we see him, the God of peace, the God of peace, the God of peace. Um, the kingdom of heaven will be a kingdom of peace. Uh, so there are around 400 references in God's word to peace. So we remember too the angels sang uh, when Jesus was born. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What? Peace and goodwill to men. So if we were to go around town uh, asking casually what is peace, I think we'd probably get answers like the absence of conflict or the absence of war, or the absence of confrontation. And so we think that way in terms of the world. Just as long as everything is quiet and tranquil, then the world wants to call that peace. But that's not God's definition of peace. God doesn't define his peace by the absence of something. He doesn't define it as the absence of conflict or the absence of war. In scripture, peace is the presence of something, 
not the absence of something, but the presence of something. So in years past, it's been a while, we've studied the word shalom. It is a beautiful <coughs> Jewish word. And when Jews greet one another, they say shalom. Shalom. I kind of wish we did that. I thought about trying it, but then I know that everybody would think you'd lost your mind, so I just have skipped it. Um, but, but shalom. And so it means may you enjoy the full satisfaction, the calm and tranquility that God gives. It's a huge word. It's a word that implies a lot of things. It implies well-being and prosperity. And all of those things are tucked into that word. So shalom is basically goodness and well-being. So if I greet you and I say shalom, then I'm wishing you goodness and well-being. I'm not just saying, hi, how you doing? And so that's the beginning of the concept of shalom in Scripture. And so... This is very different from how the world identifies peace. Because in the world, so many times we interpret peace to be nobody saying anything. Just keep it under the table. Keep it under the rug. Keep it quiet. Keep it still. And everybody's going to be fine. Well, that's not God's idea. The world then thinks of peace politically, socially. Uh, the United Nations was formed as an agency for world peace. Well, guess what? It hasn't worked. And so we can think of peace in our families. We think of peace in our homes. And we think of peace in our hearts or personal peace. But yet we live in a world that is ugly and violent. Do you ever think that? I don't watch the news much anymore. But if you ever get a glimpse of it or see what's going on, you just think, ooh. And you mourn over that sin. So everywhere you look, there's vengeance and hatred and anger and wrath. <clears throat> and so it's a world of chaos and conflict. Well, how long has it been that way? Since the Garden of Eden. Now think about this with me. When God created man and woman and he put them in the Garden of Eden, it was a garden of peace a garden of peace and then the peace was interrupted when they did what when they chose their own way instead of God's way and so what did they do they doubted God's word they doubted God's goodness and they doubted God's sovereignty and so their peace with God when they chose their own way was severed Whoop. there was separation and the peace went away. And so it also interrupted their peace with each other. Because then what happened? Well, it's her fault. She did it. So all of a sudden, all of these new things happened that were not a part of the peace of God that was in the Garden of Eden. So for the first time, there was doubt. There was shame. There was fear. And there was blame. There had never been that before until there was sin. And the sin was what? Choosing their own way instead of God's way. So since the Garden of Eden, 
there's been all of those things, fear and shame and blame and confusion and chaos, lack of order. And so then came Jesus at the cross. And at the cross, Jesus brought the opportunity for peace to the human heart. There is no peace in the world today because man is at war with God. There cannot be war with God and peace at the same time. Satan and his fallen angels are at war with God. And so what we see in the chaos and the violence, the vengeance, is we see war. And so there's conflict both on the earth in the earthly realm, and there's conflict in the spiritual realm between God and the angels of light and Satan and the angels of darkness. There's constant conflict. So then here comes Jesus with a message in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of all of this chaos, all of this mess, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So he says, all right, look, you are being assigned bringing peace to this troubled earth. You are to make peace in the earth, peace to troubled hearts. So if you are a believer, if you are a believer, you are God's designated peacemaker. Think about that. You know what it is to have a, well, maybe you don't, I don't use one, a designated driver. Somebody that an assignment is given to, well, you are a designated peacemaker. Just simply because you're saved. Simply because you're a believer. But here's what happens to us sometimes. We take on the world's view of what peace is. And so let's say that there's a time in your family where you don't really have peace. You just called a truce, a ceasefire. And so that means that you just won't talk about it. That means because if you open your mouth, war is going to break out, right? So you just hush. And you put it under the rug and you don't say anything. And so you just go about silently while smoldering on the inside. We could tear off on a rabbit chase here from our forgiveness study, couldn't we? So we're just smoldering on the inside. But that, according to God's word, that's not making peace. That is evading an issue. And we have somehow learned and gathered, I've seen it in churches, I've seen it in all kinds of places, where if we just can evade an issue and just leave it alone, we can call it peace. But it's not God's peace, it is false tranquility. And so Jesus is addressing all of these things. And, you know, it it could be that maybe you know that there's a sin somewhere. Maybe you know there's corruption. Maybe you know that someone is hiding sin, but you just don't want to cause a problem, so you're just not going to say anything about it. Just pretend that you don't know. And put it under the rug and hide it. And once again, you 
evade the issue. So the peace that Jesus is talking about, the peace that he came to bring, does not evade issues. Now let me hasten to say, and I will say it again and again because I want you to hear this, this doesn't mean that there's not a right way and a right time and a calling of God on you if you need to deal with a situation. Hear that. But in general terms, we have got to understand that we don't evade the truth of issues. God never, never tells us to just keep our mouths shut. He doesn't. You know, not that that's not the right thing to do sometime. Now, hear, hear the whole thing. Don't just hear the beginning of the sentence. But God never tells us to do things just so that there can be the appearance of peace when there's not really peace. Do you know what it is for, do you know that something's just kind of gone away and nobody talks about it, but it was never dealt with? Is it still a weight in your heart? I can think of things like that, things that are weights in my heart that just, because they weren't ever really dealt with in a godly way. So God doesn't call us just to evade issues, just to keep everybody quiet, just to keep everybody in the appearance of being tranquil. God does, he does call us to do his will in his way at his time. But he never lets us be comfortable while avoiding confronting sin and error for the sake of appearing to be tranquil. As I was studying, I think a good word for some of this, something we see a lot of in the day is, in our day, is what we call tolerance. The things that we are, as Christians today, are being demanded to tolerate even though we know in our hearts God says they are wrong. But we don't want to cause a problem. And the world is full of it. So the implication is if you'll just be quiet, everything's going to be fine. You just need to move on and be quiet, and, and everybody's going to get over it. And so... God never lets us be comfortable with that. Bible peace is a true peace that exists after a struggle is over. The word reconciliation comes to me a lot. When it's, when yes, you've dealt with it, you've dealt with it in a godly way, you've applied all of the teachings on forgiveness that we've talked about, and you can leave it there and go on and love each other in the mercy and the grace that God has given to us. So why is that? Because God's peace is based on truth and holiness. That's a foundation here on being a peacemaker. God's peace is always based on truth and on holiness. So when somebody comes to me and says, hey, um, up there in that church, y'all don't need to be teaching that same-sex marriage is wrong. That is offensive. Well, what does God say? Now, again, I'm going to respond to it with mercy, with love. God's going to give me the right way to respond at the right time, you know. But I don't just pretend that it's going to be okay. Because it's not based on God's truth. 
and it's not based on God's holiness. James 3.17 says, The wisdom from above is first pure, or holy, then peaceable. So truth and holiness come first. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness. So we don't back off from God's truth in the name of peace. Or in the name of tranquility. We do not give up truth for what the world calls peace. We're not going to have God's peace if we don't deal in truth. Not going to happen. We're not going to accommodate error and call it peace. Because it's not God's peace. Now, let's hasten to say that we always want to avoid needless strife. That's not what this is about. We always want to avoid needless strife. We don't want to go around wreaking havoc, causing unnecessary confusion and disruption. Um, there are times, and Scripture teaches this, there are times when it is wise judgment to overlook a transgression. But where do we need to be getting our instructions from? We need to be getting those instructions from God in our quiet time with him and in our time that we're in his word so that we know what to do. We don't just go barging into a situation without knowing that the Lord has put his hand on us and on that situation for us to have something to say about it. <clears throat> there are times when it is wise to overlook a transgression, but there are also times when it is right to cover a multitude of sins. Scripture says, love covereth a multitude of sins. But there are people who have certified themselves as designated finger pointers for everything wrong in this world. Do you know about those people? And that's what, not what Jesus is calling us to here. They make it their job to create strife everywhere and to be pious about it. Well, why is that not working? We'll look at it in a minute, but it's not working because it does not include steps 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 of the Beatitudes. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34... Do not think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a what? sword. God's peace is prompted by division, by the use of that sword of the Lord. And so there are times when confrontation is necessary. It is the godly thing to do. Look at the people Jesus confronted in the New Testament. Look what happened when he went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers. The world would not call that peace. What is he doing? He's acting out of truth and holiness. So the message of the gospel is going to bring division. Sometimes the message of the gospel will split families 
Sometimes if a person in, a, in an ungodly family gets saved and brings another set of standards and perspective to the family, they're rejected by the family. That's why Jesus said there are going to be times when you're going to maybe need to hate your mother and father. And by hate, he means comparatively. Because your decisions now are going to have to be based on truth and holiness. Okay? That doesn't mean you can be as loving as you want to be and still make people mad. Have you figured that out yet? You can be loving and kind and merciful and gracious and all of that, and just your very presence is going to set them off. Why? Because the world is divided from the teaching of God. So there are times when confrontation is necessary, necessary and the message of the gospel is going to bring division. But we are not to abandon God's truth. We're not to abandon God's truth. We don't cry peace when there is no peace. I think that's from the book of Jeremiah where he says, God says, you're crying peace, peace when there is no peace. And so when we cry peace, peace over all of this mess that's going on in the world today and think, oh, well, they're not fighting, so everything's going to be okay. Just tolerate everybody. That's not peace. And Jesus says, don't you call it peace when it's not. So what is peace not? I don't know that that's good English, but I didn't know what else to say. What is peace not? It is not the absence of conflict. It is not the absence of conflict. Peace is never to be confused with pacifism. Pacifism just to me says, I'm not going to fight. That's not peace, okay? So it is not the absence of conflict. We are never instructed to run from conflict. God's church, God's people are never instructed to run from conflict. We're not called to put our heads in the sand and ignore wrong and just hope it's going to go away. Now, there have been a lot of churches for a lot of years that have taken that approach to problems in churches. Just push it under the rug. Just smile at everybody and sing and worship and praise and everything's going to be okay. No. God's not going to move in that situation. Peace at any price is far from the biblical command to be a peacemaker. Peace at any price is far from the biblical command to be a peacemaker. A person who glosses over problems and acts as if everything is all right when it's not is not a peacemaker. He's an evader. Who is a peacemaker? Who is a peacemaker? A peacemaker, God's peacemaker, is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. That's a peacemaker. That's biblical peace. When I make it my business to try to reconcile other people to God and reconcile people to one another in the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm a peacemaker. That's what it's about. It's about peace with God and peace with each other. If we're going to have peace with God, we're going to agree on what God says about something. So that's where the real peace comes, when we know that we think the same thing. 
about what God says about it. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says this. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, that is Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. God's peace comes through the blood of the cross. That's how we're reconciled to God. That's how we get peace with God. That's how we get peace with one another as we release that forgiveness, that blood of Christ over situations that are offensive to us. So to be a peacemaker, to be a peacemaker, I have to be poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful and pure in heart. Those are the things, those are the prerequisites that have been taking place in my heart that make me a certified, designated peacemaker. Because then when? What's going to happen? I know my position in Christ. I know my humility. I know I need Christ. I know what it is to need to be forgiven. I know what God's peace is. And I'm going to try to reconcile that and administer that to the world around me because Jesus died to bring forgiveness because he did that so a peacemaker is one whose sins have been dealt with in Christ he's got a whole new perspective of the world and how everything needs to fit together he has first of all made peace with God and he is committed to God's truth True peace only comes through the gospel. Doesn't come through the UN. Doesn't come from the Peace Corps. Doesn't come from winning a Nobel Peace Prize. If it's not this peace, it's not real peace and it's not going to work. Life doesn't work without it. So as peacemakers, we help others make peace with God and no we need to be poor in spirit and mourn and meek and all of those things leading up to this while saying nope I can't tolerate same-sex marriage and churches that are bowing for that they're all over the country bowing for that teaching just to keep peace when there is no peace Peacemakers are never defensive. Peacemakers are never self-promoting, never vengeful, never prideful, never angry with other people. We may be angry over sin. But we're not going to demonstrate peacemakers who have those other six ladder steps in place and the Beatitudes are not going to go out and use methods of the world to try to make peace because it won't be God's peace all we can do is say this is what the Lord says this is what God says and I stand on that and I love you but 
I want to love you enough to tell you the truth. We are known, then what? He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be, what's the promise? Children of God. Will be known as children of God. You know, I've gotten old enough now that sometimes I see children or young people, and when I see them, I think, I know who you belong to because you look just like your mama or you look just like your daddy. You ever do that? I can tell by looking at you what family you're in. That's the way the world ought to be about us as believers. We ought to look enough like God in our behavior and in being peacemakers that the world is going to conclude there's something different about you. You look like your father, God. So that's what Jesus is saying. It's the mark of a true believer. It's the mark of a true believer. For And what happens then as we take on all of these characteristics of these Beatitudes, then we reflect the character of God. And we're known as children of God. This is a simple statement, but it summarizes it well for me, and I want to close with this. The God of peace sent the Prince of Peace to give us the Spirit of Peace. The God of Peace sent the Prince of Peace to give us the Spirit of Peace. There's a lot here we could talk about for a long time. All the ifs, whens, what ifs, then whats. The bottom line is that we are sensitive to the Lord and walking in all of these characteristics of the Beatitudes. And the Lord will show us the right time, the right place, the right way to address any issues that need to be corrected. We pray and ask him for an open door so that his Holy Spirit has got everything ready <clears throat> to work the way it needs to work. Okay? Do you have any questions? All right. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his, what? Peace. His shalom. So shalom, and I'll see you next week. God bless you.